The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. I'm Benjamin Dolly, and this is the VPM Daily Newscast. Richmond's top prosecutor cleared police officers of wrongdoing in five complaints related to the ongoing protests against police brutality. Commonwealth's attorney Colette McEachin released a report yesterday detailing her office's investigations. It says a Richmond police officer did not do anything criminal when driving up to the sidewalk near the Robert E. Lee Monument, allegedly going through a crowd. McEachin's office also found officers did not spit on a detained protester but were only clearing their throat near the protester. She said a viral social media video distorts the perspective. The Commonwealth's Attorney's Office continues to investigate complaints against police during the civil unrest. Governor Ralph Northam's rules governing weddings during the pandemic can stay in place for now. A federal judge in Richmond denied a request to temporarily block those regulations. Whitney Evans reports. The owners of Zion Springs Wedding Venue in Northern Virginia say the governor's COVID-19 restrictions have caused them economic hardship. They say couples have canceled weddings this year because of social distancing and face mask rules, as well as a requirement that guests be separated by family. Chap Peterson, a state senator and attorney for Zion Springs, says the rules are more strict for weddings than restaurants. You can't treat the exercise of religion Uh, in a more prejudicial way than you would just ordinary commercial businesses. U.S. District Court Judge John Gibney expressed sympathy for the business, saying the pandemic has, quote, fallen like a ton of bricks on people in the hospitality industry. However, Gibney denied the request to halt the regulations immediately. Lawyers will be back in court to argue the case in late August. Whitney Evans, VPM News. Students in Chesterfield County will be attending school 100 percent virtually this fall. The school board voted 4-1 to last night with board member Ryan Harder casting the no vote. Harder cited the county's parent and teacher survey results which favored for students to return to class in person full-time. Speaking with principals and other educational leaders in the Matoga district, it was collectively noted that the teachers wishing to return were in a majority. Parents wishing for the students to return in some fashion were in a majority. Harder, who is a former teacher, says having children go back to school in person will help those who suffer with social isolation or other issues that teachers are able to report on. Board Chair Debbie Bailey said she's angry, frustrated, and sad at both federal and state officials who passed the decision-making process down to school board members who are not health experts. How did it come to pass that we have to make a decision about the health of 63,000 students and 8,000 teachers and staff with little to no guidance? The Chesterfield County School Board will meet in August to go over more details about how virtual classes will work. School starts in the county during the second week of September. Henrico County is preparing to vote on how they'll return to school this fall. School Superintendent Amy Cashwell is recommending the county begin the fall with all virtual instruction in response to continuing concerns over the COVID-19 pandemic. The adopted plan would be in place for at least the first nine weeks. Cashwell said in the statement that virtual learning will be rich, structured, robust, and graded and would be more substantial than the spring's emergency learning model. Henrico will vote on its reopening plan this Thursday, July 23rd. Private fundraising efforts to reimburse the city of Richmond for Confederate statue removal are stalling. As Roberta Roldan reports, organizers have fallen well short of their nearly $2 million goal. Two online fundraisers by the group Move the Monuments have raised $30,000 since the beginning of the month, but the city says it spent around $1.8 million on removal. Shannon Harton is a local realtor who created the fundraisers. He says donations are dwindling 
because of waning media attention and continuing protests. It's still a giant hole in a budget that the city cannot afford, and I really want people to focus on that because it's going to come out of potholes that we want filled and parks that we want mowed and schools, most crucially. Harton says organizers plan to keep the online fundraisers up through the summer. Whatever donations they collect will be transferred to the city to partially reimburse the cost of monument removal. Roberta Roldan, VPM News. The Valentine Museum is opening a new exhibit today that highlights Richmond's history during the Roaring Twenties. The exhibit, named after the song Ain't Misbehavin', includes 45 flashy costumes and outfits from the fashions of Richmond's jazz age. But Eric Stagletter, communications director at the Valentine, says the exhibit also tells another story. You had the bright clothes and the jazz and the music and all these different things, but you also had a Richmond that was at the height of the Jim Crow era. So you had a Richmond that was in many ways at odds with itself. The Valentine is free to visitors through the end of the summer. Because of COVID-19 precautions, visitors can sign up for timed tickets on the museum's website. Patrons are also required to wear face masks and practice social distancing in the exhibits. We should disclose the Valentine is a sponsor of VPM. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to disproportionately impact the city's black and brown residents, highlighting decades-old inequities. As Alan Rodriguez-Espinosa reports, one local advocate is doing his part by focusing on the intersection of health and food security. Today we are dropping off a box for one of our resiliency garden applicants uh, for one of the folks that feels like they're food insecure. Duran Chavis has been building raised garden beds free of charge since April. The project is called Resiliency Gardens. For years, Chavis has worked to increase access to healthy foods in Richmond's underserved neighborhoods. People are losing their jobs, so there's more people on SNAP benefits. Um, some people are immunocompromised, like, you know, they might have diabetes or, you know, some other chronic ailment that makes them more susceptible to catching corona. The lack of access to healthy food and groceries is just one of the many systemic inequities laid bare by the COVID-19 pandemic. When we break down the numbers, black residents make up more than 70% of deaths caused by COVID-19 in Richmond, though they only represent about half of the city's population. About 10% of Richmond's population is Latino. They account for 10% of the coronavirus-related deaths in the city, but in terms of cases, they're contracting the virus at much higher rates, nearly 50%, according to the Virginia Department of Health. Several factors contribute to these disparities, including unequal access to food, as Dr. Robert Wynn of the VCU Massey Cancer Center explains. The reality is if you have poor groceries around, you have high stress, poor housing, those are the recipes for those people living there having diabetes and hypertension, which become the backdrop for the comorbid diseases of the COVID. At the same time, Chavis says viral outbreaks in food processing plants that have slowed down production and increased food prices have also put essential workers at risk. Black and brown folks that are predominantly the ones that are in these processing plants or on these farms growing the food that we eat are also in precarious positions where they're catching the brunt force of the pandemic. Chavis says where industrial farming has failed, small local farms have responded to the crisis in more effective ways. There's still things that they can do to increase their access to healthy food. It's not all is lost. It's not all doom and gloom. In the last three months, Chavis and his team of volunteers have built about 200 resiliency gardens. His organization, Happily Natural Day, 
raised nearly $25,000 online and received a $2,000 grant from the city. Folks are sending us pictures of them growing food in their boxes and you know, their kids watering and all that type of stuff. So it's been really positive in terms of response. One of the people who received a raised bed is Markeisha Miner, a mental health professional who lives in Southside Richmond. Miner says her resiliency garden has brought her some peace of mind. If the price of my groceries are rising, my paycheck isn't necessarily rising, so we can see where that disconnect may begin to happen. Miner now grows her own peppers and tomatoes in her backyard. She says the garden has been a learning experience that has brought her joy during uncertain times. It's just a very positive and liberating thing to be able to be and live um, self-sufficiently. Self-sufficiency. Chavis says that's the key to real food justice. And while the Resiliency Garden Initiative has provided relief during the pandemic, he says it's only a start in creating self-sustaining food systems in communities that have been historically denied a seat at the table. Alan Rodriguez Espinosa, VPM News. All of the stories you've heard can be found at vpm.org news. This has been the Daily VPM Newscast. VPM. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.